Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. I'm your host, John Benzik from VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you don't know what you're doing. Today, my special guest is Barry Kudrowitz. I consider Barry a creative and innovation catalyst, helping people unleash their creativity in all areas of business and life. And for entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, Barry's background and advice can help us spot new product and business opportunities. Or for those of us entrepreneurs that are already in business, he can help us find new ways to get around the obstacles that hold us back. Currently, Barry is a professor and director of product design at the University of Minnesota. One of his offerings is a toy product design class of which I've reviewed and critiqued some of his projects. He received his PhD at MIT while studying creativity, humor, and idea generation. Really fascinating stuff. He's a designer, teacher, musician, artist, author, and even a rap artist. He's been featured on the Martha Stewart Show, on Discovery Channel's Mythbusters, and on PBS's Design Squad. And in his collaboration with the toy company Hasbro, one of his products, a Nerf product, was sold in stores. And he's also presented to companies like Target, 3M, Kaiser Permanente, and Mayo Clinic. For more information about Barry, check out his website at wonderberry.com. Barry, thanks for taking the time. I'm thrilled that you're here. And welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. Thanks for having me. For sure. Barry, tell us about some of the workshops and classes that you offer. Yeah, sure. At the University of Minnesota, I teach a class called Creative Design Methods. And that's an intro to early stage design process. Uh, some people might call it design thinking. Uh, so idea generation, idea selection, ethnographic research, benchmarking products, intellectual property. I also teach toy design, as you mentioned, and I've taught that for 13 years uh, six years at MIT and seven years here at the University of Minnesota. And that's really just a product design process course, but we happen to design toys. And I teach food design, uh, hmm. which is <laughs> kind of another kind of out there class. Uh, and that's that's in collaboration with chefs. And we basically look at food as a thing to be designed. Currently, most of the stuff that you consume or you eat uh, is either created by food scientists and you buy it in a grocery store or it's created by chefs who are more like artists but this whole field of design is is a, a field that creates product and food is a product so why not design food uh, so I teach a class on that and tell me about the class or workshop that you offered that incorporated play and or humor into innovation tell me more about that one I do workshops regularly with industry and uh, and different schools on ways of generating ideas and being more creative. And I often use humor and play as a means of getting people to be more creative. 
And how does play and humor help us? Well, this was actually my PhD research on humor and creativity and idea generation. So we'll look touch on that one first. Um, I studied improv comedy, and there are tools that you learn from improv training that are directly applicable to uh, idea generation and design process. Things like divergent thinking, coming up with lots of ideas, building on ideas, deferring judgment. This is what you get trained to do if you take improv courses. And in my research, I found that improv workshops, if you do improv workshops before idea generation, you come up with more creative ideas. Also in, in studies, we found that professional improv comedians come up with better product ideas than product designers. Yeah, and I find too, and I've written a blog post on this a number of years ago. I read a book about play and how it has helped us with our creativity. I just know from, you know, the older we get, the older I get, the less play that I have. And as a result of that sort of self-awareness, I've been much more trying to reincorporate that in my life. And just getting the body moving, even if you're throwing a Frisbee around or catching a baseball and just sort of letting the mind loosen up a little bit really seems to help create that creative energy. Yeah, play, you know, as we get older, we we still do things that are fun. We just stop calling it play. We do recreation and, and leisure and sports and play. You know, you're playing, play at football or you might go swimming and you call that play. But we seem to lose it. We don't, it's not like adults are just playing fort or dress up on, on the subway. Right. You know, and I think society frowns upon that. You know, we, it's, you know, that's for kids that's child stuff and so you shouldn't be playing pretend or um you know goofing off i mean even like in school you, you get reprimanded for goofing off or being silly uh and so we kind of they kind of beat the play play out of us as we grow up uh, even they cut recess you know you stop having recess at some point and that's how we learn we learn all through our life, we learn through play, every skill, all of our social skills, our mental skills, our physical skills, it's all through play. And then at some point, like in middle school or even elementary school, they say, no, you're not going to learn through play anymore. You're going to learn by memorizing things. And you just have to switch the way you learn. But we, we could still keep learning through play. And that's how I teach. I teach through, through play. I give activities that uh, in the classroom that seem more of like play than work. There's theories that innovation comes from making non-obvious connections. And when you bring people from different backgrounds together with different pieces of information, you're more likely to come up with innovative things because, you know, you may not, someone had one piece and someone else had another piece and you put them together or they have different skill sets that mesh well. Yeah. Uh, in college, you're running into lots of different people, especially if like you're you have liberal art classes and you're running into people that uh, might not be in the same major. When you're kids, you're playing in high school, you're just like all different backgrounds and you don't have no idea what people are going to be. But then when you go into work, you're kind of now in an environment where everyone probably doing the exact same thing and they all maybe have the same background too. And they were hired for by the same people. Um, and so the opportunities for these random connections go, go down. Yeah. One of my first internships out of college was at a leading ad agency in town. And at the time, they were ad agency of the year in the United States, Fallon McGilligate. Now they're called Fallon, but a highly creative agency at the time and just really on fire and doing great work. 
And before that internship, I spent some time in office environments working, but I never working in an ad agency. And I remember going to my internship at that ad agency and in the creative department and throughout the offices of this highly productive, effective, award-winning ad agency, there were guys laying around on the floor, like playing little kids things. And they were, it was six o'clock at night and they're just sort of clowning around. There was that kind of freedom, but they were geniuses. And it was so unexpected for me to see that culture sort of brewing in an ad agency and that really had an effect on me yeah we try to create a playful environment here i don't you don't have video but you know to the left of me there's a bunch of couches in my research lab and there's toys everywhere the walls are blue it's a total mess but and people do sleep here on the floor like a lot of students during busy times so this is all the, the play like you have to create an environment that says it's okay to play uh, if you want that that's what improv does, going back to improv, they they create an environment where it's okay to fail, it's okay to play around, it's okay to be silly, it's okay to be someone that you're not. And when you do that, you're more likely to come up with strange things that you weren't expecting even yourself to come up with. Right. And that's that's what makes improv funny. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a, something else. I don't know if you've ever studied anything on just the specific piece of laughter. But I know when I laugh... It creates all sorts of opportunities, I think, in certain ways. There's something chemically going on there that opens up some magic. I don't know what it is. There's uh, There are laughter clubs where people go to just get that yeah. emotional release, positive vibe. Yeah. I read one study where most of the laughter is not actually funny from something being funny. It's from like social lubricant. Oh, interesting. Laughing to make other people feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so these workshops and classes, who are they for? Who are you presenting to and what's your intention there? The classes at the university are, are most of them are open to anyone who wants to either build their design or, or creativity skills. Some of those skills are specific to product design, and so we, some classes are product design only. Mm -hmm. And do you, how often are you presenting to professionals that come in? Typically, maybe once a month, sometimes twice a month, I'll, I'll give talks for uh, industry. Yeah. All different education, medical, healthcare, product companies, medical devices. What do you think some of these would be relevant to entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs? The workshops? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What are the deliverables that you aim for in a lot of these sessions? I suppose it depends on which session. You have a specific objective. But what do you really at the very core want to see people come out and walking away with? As a teacher, I, I try to give them skills that they can use later on in their own practice. So these workshops that I do, they're typically going through some sort of process and maybe we're coming up with ideas or prototypes. I don't depends on what the session is. And it's not necessarily in the in those three hours they're going to come up with the best idea they've ever had. But the point of these sessions is to teach them some tools and techniques that they could then use later on in, uh, in sessions that they'll have on their own. Yeah. And you have such a fascinating job as a product design and innovation authority. And your life history is sort of plump full of interesting creative experiences. And I'm curious... Where does your core enthusiasm for creativity or your creative drive come from? Where did you get that? 
I don't know. <laughs> I probably play. I just I I don't know. I always like making stuff. I always like cartoons and I just maybe I never grew up. I don't know. Is your mom or dad are they artists in any way? Are they in creative fields? My dad is a commercial artist, so he he's a pinstriper. He puts lines on cars, paint paint stripes on cars. Yeah. Um, my mom did art in high school, but and she was a teacher. What gave you the notion or the courage to then deliberately apply this creative energy in such a unique way to make a living for yourself doing it? Did the idea emerge and accumulate over time? Or were you always aware of your intent to be sort of an expert in this field? It's almost as if perhaps one day, maybe 10 years ago, you took inventory of yourself and said, what can I do with this eclectic collection of creative efforts and, and skills and generate income from it? it? It's really a unique role that you have. Yeah, actually, I mean, I think you kind of summed it up there. But it kind of, it's a little bit has to do with what you're not, what like risk. Um, so most people think, you know, innovative people are, um, they take risks and they're not afraid of anything um, and they're open to what, like crazy ideas. But there's some, some research that shows that innovative people are not, you know, they're, they're risk averse. They're, um, super messy. They're not organized. They, uh, might be self-absorbed. A lot of negative characteristics of actual innovators. So why I'm telling you this is that it kind of came out of being risk averse. And I went into engineering because I wanted a, a safe job. You know, I was afraid of going to art school or something because I, you know, I wouldn't know what would happen with that. And so going into engineering, um, I was still doing all this stuff that I viewed as play on the side. I was writing plays. I was do, um, making music. I was doing art um, and hip hop while I was doing the engineering. So I was building up both right brain, left brain in quotes, um, at the same time. And it turned out I was pretty good at engineering. And so I graduated and, uh, my advisor was like, you, you need to apply to MIT. And so I did as a joke and I got in and I was deciding between culinary arts school, industrial design grad programs and MIT. And I went to MIT, and that's where I met my advisor, David Wallace, and I pretty much kind of followed in his footsteps. So I saw how exciting teaching could be, and he put all this effort into creating these class experiences. And I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. So I started doing that at MIT, and I realized as a professor, you can kind of do whatever you want. You can, if you want to study chefs, you could do that. That's the whole reason I'm studying creativity, because it applies to anything. If I want to do medical stuff, I could study medical things. If I want to study food, I could do that. If I want to study artists or bicycle designers, it's all over the place. And so that's what I'm doing. And it's a way of, I look at what I'm doing is play. I don't view my job as work in any, in any way. Sometimes when I have to fill out like receipt reimbursement forms, that's work. But most of the things I do is play. And I try to convey all of this excitement I have for design and engineering to my students through play. Do you think most people have this same creative force within them? 
but with internal or external obstacles that burden their creation capability? Or do you think that some people are simply more creative than others? That's kind of my research agenda here. So I'm trying to understand what makes people creative and how do we assess creativity and can you, what factors influence the creativity of somebody's output? Yeah, I think of that question a lot. So there, there are different factors. So I think there are some, there are some inherent, there are some skills uh, or cognitive abilities that you could call uh, a creative mindset. Uh, so someone who's open to new things or they like experimenting or they like combining things, right? That's, those are, or di they're a divergent thinker or a convergent thinker. Those are skills that some people just naturally ha have those. And sometimes you could, you, maybe you could build those skills, or at least I try to get people to build those skills. But to, to actually be innovative, you can't just have that. You also have to have knowledge of things. You have to be able to connect things. You could be really good at connecting stuff, but if you don't know things to connect, you're not going to be able to apply your whatever you want to call these creative uh, abilities. So there's like knowledge on one hand, and then there's these creative skills, if you will. And But there's still other factors too for something to be creative. You also have to have motivation and you have to have like the proper environment. So you could have the knowledge and the creative mindset, but there might not be the right prompt or the right challenge for you to apply these things. Or you could be in an environment that is is keep restraining you from using these. So your work environment, there could be no tools or you could be required to do specific things on a certain time. You don't actually get the ability to apply this, your cognitive skill, your creative skills with your uh, knowledge of things. So there's a number of factors. Do you think all factors being equal, do you think right-brained people are more creative than left-brained? <laughs> um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what the research says now on there actually being a, a, a right brain, left brain, but I, I know what you're saying. There's like a, are more logical people less creative or, you know, more than these wild artsy types. Yeah. Uh, there's different types of creativity. And yeah. I've, I've always been curious about that. You've worked on a lot of projects. What do you see as the, as the primary obstacles to creativity and innovation? Environment and time are some society is an issue. So sometimes I just like, I need to make something, I'll get that urge, right? But like, I don't have shops, I don't have craft, I don't have materials on hand. And so it's always good to have a space for you to be creative in whenever you want to go in there. Time, right? We This goes back to work and play. A lot of people work to have money to play. But if you do life right, you can find a, a career that you also view as, as play. And so you kind of play and then you also could play later. But the, the first one where you're, you, know, you're, you have your job job and there's no play there, you need, there's not much room for you to actually be creative in, the, in that thing that you view as a, as a career, as work work. Uh, and so you have limited time outside of your nine to five to to explore. 
some companies are better. They have like this 10%, 20% time where you can do whatever you want. Do you think a key driver for creativity and innovation is an individual's need for expression? Um, hmm. And the reason I ask is because I tend to be a creator at heart. And whatever, whatever medium you put in front of me, if I was locked in a jail cell, or if you gave me some filming equipment and I didn't know how to use it, or if you put me in front of a box of crayons, or you know, a financial spreadsheet, anything really, in order for me to survive, and we're getting off point a little bit, I would have to find a way to create with the limited tools that I have. And if I was just stuck in a paraplegic and could only move my mouth, I would probably start reciting poetry. Yeah, that's interesting. Um... And looking at your sort of history of, of creation, you know, rap artist, rock band, um, innovation authority, I just wonder if you're a performer at heart. I need to express some side. Yeah, I mean, that's part of what I like about teaching. It's like performance. Yeah. It's interactive performance. The students don't realize they're <laughs> they're part of this big production. <laughs> Important role in it. One thing that I find constant at least that I can understand is I can't feel alive if I'm not creating something. And I wonder if I'm different from other people that don't have that or if they're just it's buried on top of them with peer or family pressure or society expectations or what have you. But it makes me wonder. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, like, there's people who like doing um, these color, adult coloring books, right? Or, like, model kits, rebuild model kits. And they're not creating anything new. They're not, like, producing something that doesn't exist in society before, you know, they're but they're they're making stuff they're created creating they're producing something it just happened to be not a very novel thing because it's already told prescribed what they should be right creating but a lot of people view that as a creative outlet and there's some satis satisfaction from making something even if it's from a pattern or um or uh, you know uh, a template just to say that you you made something and that's an outlet for people even though it's not I mean, it might be self-expression in that you like the pattern that you chose or the template that you chose, uh, but you're not creating something new. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I haven't done the study, but I imagine there's there's people that really enjoy that type of creation because they don't have to be creative to create. And then there's people that would find that boring because they have to follow these rules to create something, and they don't want to. They don't want to play. They don't want to read the Lego instructions and make the exact thing in the picture of the Lego box. They want to make their own Lego creation. Who do you see or admire as a creative force in the world that has inspired you? Someone that has maybe built up a body of work in one way or another. Maybe even not a traditional creative body or work. But do you look to certain people that you admire? Yeah, uh, I think Weird Al has been. Let's go doing non-traditional here. He's doing some really interesting projects now. Yeah, what uh, is he doing? He's on Gallivant, which is like a like a musical TV show now. Um, he's also a host, co-hosting uh, a TV show, but in addition to his music stuff that he that he's done for a while, I think Pee Wee, but he he's not really doing much anymore. Yeah, Mark Mothersbaugh. 
the lead singer Devo. He has amazing artwork and um, he creates these musical contraptions and sculptures, really, and, and music as well. For those listeners out there, Barry, that don't see themselves as creative but want to be more creative, what tips can you offer them to be more creative? Well, I think there are people that don't want to be more creative. So if you're one of those people that you're like, I don't think I'm creative. I want to be more creative. That's like step one. Yeah, right. Like recognizing that, you know, you maybe you could be more creative and wanting to do something about it. And uh, I'll go back to some of the things I said before about play. Yeah. You're, You're more likely to be creative if you view an activity as play. And there's research on that you view an activity as play, you're going to be more creative than that activity. So there's two options here. And one is the the Steve Jobs option. And the other one is the Mary Poppins option. The Steve Jobs option is don't do anything that you don't view as play, because you're not going to be creative in it. So only do things that you view as fun and playful. The Mary Poppins option is there's an element of fun in everything, and all you have to do is find the fun, and then you can be creative in whatever that thing is. So you can choose whichever route you like, but what I would say is that you should try something that you've always wanted to try, but you've never done it in a while. So if you wanted to like throw pottery, or you wanted to do uh, music theater, or you, you want to learn to knit or write a book or something. That means you, there's something in it that you view as playful uh, and you've never got into tap into that before. And it's very likely you're going to be creative with it because it's something you really want to do. And it's likely something you haven't been doing, which means you're going to be combining whatever you're currently doing, your current a domain of expertise with this totally unrelated thing that you've always wanted to do. And that's where innovation comes from, making non-obvious connections. So it kind of like I that's a fancy way of saying you should pursue things you really want to do. Right? Um, but but there's a little bit more to it than um, do things that you like. It's more like go actually tackle one of these side things that you've always wanted to work on, but you've never had the time to. Yeah, and this is sort of related, but talking about ideas and creativity and innovation, a lot of entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs want to find that right idea or whether it's a new product idea or a new marketing angle on an existing business or something, a creative financing arrangement. What makes for a good idea? Well, I have a paper on this. (laughs) Uh, So let's say it's an innovative idea. If you want to go that way, it should be novel in some sense. Um, so it shouldn't already be out there. Is there such a thing? Right. So that's this is Margaret Bowden's theory of, you know, there's creative to the individual, there's creative to society, and there's creative to history. And in the product world or the design world, all that really matters is creative to uh, society, not necessarily creative to history. So I could create something new and if enough people think it's new, then it's new and, and creative. It doesn't have to be new to everyone. That's one thing. Uh, it should be feasible in some sense. So you have, you have to be able to implement it. And then it should have value to someone, to other people other than you. How would you recommend a person or a team to consistently come up with good ideas? 
a lot of companies struggle over that. Often the 80-20 rule comes into apply. If they have 10 products, two of the products create 80% of the value. But how do you generate regularly good ideas? Yeah, I also have papers on this. It's quantity. It's the, in all the studies, the people who have more ideas have more ideas that other people think are creative. And the more ideas you have, as you have more ideas, the later ideas are more creative than the earlier ideas. Very interesting. Like there's probably several theories on why that is. I mean, creative people may just come up with more ideas and, or it could be that the first things you think of are the same thing everyone thinks of. And so you just have to get past those first few ideas to get to the interesting stuff that no one else thinks of. Barry, if you met with 10 aspiring entrepreneurs that wanted to start a business but did not have a business idea, what steps or process would you guide them through to help them find a business idea? The way I teach this process, you'd start with ethnographic research, observation, interviewing people. Of course, you would need to start with some some general thing. So I want to look at outdoors products or I want to look at travel transportation or travel so you need some a little bit of a starting point before you do anything but i think ido and the d school would agree with this method where you you'd go out into the world and you talk to people and you figure out what problems there are and then idea generation there's a number of different idea generation methods and in my class we go through a dozen or so uh, techniques for coming up with ideas Often you come up with ideas, you want to go back and get feedback from potential users on those ideas. So it's a little bit of a cycle and figuring out finding problems, coming up with ideas, going back to people with your ideas, and then maybe the problem changes, maybe the ideas change. And uh, and then from there, there's prototyping and iteration and stuff. But um, I think the ideas could come from your own experiences or from other people. But if it does come from yourself and you say, oh, I think this is a good idea, you always want to make sure other people think it's a good idea too before you start investing time and money into, into something. Finally, Barry, did I miss any questions that you feel like you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? Something I, I see often, at least in the classroom setting and sometimes in industry, is that engineers designers, entrepreneurs, or business-minded folk, they often don't appreciate what each other does, and they view the other fields as uh, something that could be outsourced, perhaps, or thought through at the end. But they they kind of need each other. And the things they do are all really time-intensive and important. And so if you are like an entrepreneur out there, and maybe you don't have a design or engineering background, the design and engineering is is really hard and it's really important to whatever product concept you're you're coming up with. And so it might be a good idea to have a designer or an engineer on board with you at the beginning uh, so you all own the idea together and you're invested. And if you are an engineer, perhaps, or a designer out there, you can't do everything on your own. You, the PR or the marketing stuff, you, you will need that at some point and you'll need to raise money. And so you're, you're kind of all dependent on each other. I don't want to end with a sales pitch for our new major, but it kind of sounds like the new product design program we're creating here at the University of Minnesota. It's a da Vinci degree, and it's like industrial design, except it has uh, the students take engineering courses and they take business courses, 
in addition to uh, design classes. And so the idea is we're creating a more well-rounded designer that can uh, not just come up with creative ideas, but also hopefully implement them and know who to work with and how to work with other back people in, in industry. Barry, it's been a real joy. You've been a fantastic guest offering some great stories and advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on the great work you've done for your creative courage and for sharing your ideas and experiences with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business.